What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Happy Friday. We got a great one today. You think you know what's going on in the medical field? I got someone who does. Here we go. Shut up, Shut up and sit down. Business the Business Bros Podcast was created for you. Learn from the business professionals who come to share their stories. Find out what's working in business and social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of successful entrepreneurs out there doing the real work. And now, welcome to another episode of Business Bros. What up, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, it's a little bit funny, huh? The whole online delay thing is a little weird, but that's cool. We'll get through it. Ladies and gents, I want to welcome Dave Ferreira to the program from Quantum Fund. OC. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> Hey man, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, you know, I like to start off with a little bit of background uh, uh, prior to where you are today. So can you tell my audience a little bit about where you come from, what it is you do? I'm actually from Massachusetts, but I live in Southern California, and I'm an engineer that develops medical devices. I'm presently general partner of the Quantum Fund OC, which is a venture studio that is developing uh, devices for the interventional radiology market to treat stroke heart attacks, uh, ailments like that. But that's what we're doing. So I'm, I'm raising $40 million right now to fund five separate companies that'll be housed at our venture studio here in Orange County, California. And uh, we got a lot of money committed and we expect to have our first close by the end of the summer and get moving. So that, that's a lot of money that you're raising, especially at the time, you know, it, it, I mean, I'm sure you've been working on this project for quite some time. And then we come across a major medical, I don't know, pandemic that hits the world, right? This, yeah. this whole COVID thing. How did, how did that affect what you guys are doing? Well, um, the investors I'm targeting are primarily family offices and some strategic companies. And the products that we're developing, I guess we can call them bag fillers for a lack of a better term. They are products that companies such as Medtronic, Stryker, Johnson & Johnson need in their product portfolio to sell to hospitals to treat patients. So I'm, I'm getting strong interest from strategic companies. And a, a lot of the family offices uh, really weren't affected so much um, by the pandemic. You know, they've already secured investments. They already have worked with their uh, chief investment officers or they're working with a, a private equity group. So they have the cash reserves there to uh, make investments. A lot of the venture capital firms have put the brakes on. So they wanna make sure that the companies they already have existed is a, a financing in, they're securing those. So, and, and really I'd say in the past five to seven years, venture capital is not really targeting med tech investment. Um, and, and the funds I'm the companies I'm creating, I'm not asking to put you know fifty million dollars to work in each company. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm looking to put three to eleven million dollars in per company, not run clinical trials. So it's more of an efficient way of getting products to the market and into the sales bag. So I'm really targeting different investors, which I wouldn't say are immune to the pandemic, but it's it's just a different investment uh, vehicle. Also, some of the angel networks um, I'm I'm speaking to also see this as a way to make investments because I'm looking at the 510k medical device FDA approval process versus running the clinical trials. Now, during the pandemic, a lot of hospitals aren't uh, treating elective patients 
only emergency patients. And, you know, for instance, my son is a sales rep in the orthopedic business, and he was unable to get to a lot of the hospitals because a lot of the procedures in orthopedic were elective cases. So, you know, once again, the market I'm targeting is still in demand. Interventional radiology is still a growing market worldwide. Um, so I, I kind of lucked out there. But yeah, the pandemic has kind of tapped the brakes, but it hasn't slowed us down you know, very much. So one of, one of the positive things this pandemic has done in uh, in many people's eyes is it's kind of pushed technology in a fast forward direction. So, yeah. you know, three months ago, we weren't doing video calls on a regular basis. It was an option. You can hop on your iPhone and kind of, you know, do a video chat. And that was cool. But today, that's our main way of communicating. That's our main way of having a social connection with people. Uh, and there's been a lot of technological uh pushes where we've just hit the fast forward button how's it how's it uh, in the medical field has have we you know pushed forward in in technology and what we utilize to uh to help facilitate whatever is going on in the medical field well as you notice it was a little hard for me to get online i had to uh, download google chrome onto my computer <laughs> <laughs> but um i mean i can say i probably have four or five zoom calls a day and over the past several months I think all of last year I had four or five video conferences. So um, at least in my industry as an engineer, I'm using it every day, but the telemedicine market has exploded. Um, you know, my mother was out visiting uh, for four months. She was supposed to come out for a couple of weeks in February and ended up staying for four months. Uh, she just flew home a few weeks ago and I was able to get her a doctor visit with physicians here at Hogan Orange County all through a Zoom meeting, she met with a nurse practitioner and a physician for an hour and a half, and they were able to ask her questions and, and virtually diagnose her. And I'm seeing the same thing with the ischemic stroke market. A lot of neurologists are using telemedicine or telestroke to, to evaluate patients, read the diagnostic imaging from either a CT, an MR, or a DSA, and efficiently see the patients versus having to drive to the hospital, which takes time. All this can be done on the computer now. And um, I do think that's going to be what is done in the future moving forward. It's much more efficient. Um, that's just the way it's going to be. So, you know, and that also plays in artificial intelligence. There's, you know, that sounds like a, you know, a very complicated thing to do, but there's what, you know, there's the AI and VR, the virtual reality. We're, we're now developing devices that are called, um, uh, um, augmented reality and you can use the technology the products which have to be designed specifically with some other imaging technology which th then can be used to reduce the radiation used in these procedures right now if you have a digital subtraction angiography procedure that's in the angio lab the patient the doctor is being exposed to radiation which they have to to be able to see the devices that are being deployed there's new technology being developed based on imaging cameras that will be used inside of a room without radiation at all. So this pandemic is speeding up how that technology is being designed, developed, and implemented. You mentioned earlier that some of those VCs are pumping the brakes on companies that they're investing in. And yet, 
I've seen different things. So in the real estate industry, we do a lot of inspections of homes, right? And I've seen some technology where it's just a little adaption that goes on the cell phone they, and they put it up to a wall and they can see through the wall. They can see the pipes. They can see what's going on, uh, you know, inside, essentially like almost an x-ray, maybe it captures, you know, moisture, that sort of stuff. Um, are VCs looking to invest in, in companies that are doing things like that, where we can take away the physical doctor patient communication, but still have that virtual sense and, and utilize the technology that they have in place so that we can meet with, let's say your, your, your mom virtually without ever having to step foot. Yeah. The, the typical venture capital investment, um, is a big investment, a new indication, a new therapy. Uh, they're, they're swinging for the fences looking for grand slams. So if, if they're doing 10 deals, they want to put $25, $50 million into a deal and have that be a 10 or 15x return. Um, you know, the sad part about that is, is you know, five of those 10 deals tank. And they, and they tank because the clinical data that they were expecting, it, it just didn't meet the endpoints. So, so the investors decide to stop putting money into that deal. Maybe two of those deals, they just break even. It gets to market and there's, a, I'd say, a fire sale. Um, and maybe, maybe three of the deals, two of them are a 3X and one is a 10X. Um, so I think during this pandemic or even, in, say, in the past uh, several years, you know, there's not a lot of game-changing implantable therapies that are, are being developed like the word uh, seven to 20 years ago. Right now, there's a lot of incremental advantages that are being made on some of the therapeutic devices. Where the big plays are, as I said, um, you know, augmented reality types of therapies. The one you mentioned that you can put up a scanner next to a building, I believe that uses ultrasound technology. They do use that in, in the healthcare field. Sometimes to actually find the veins or arteries that are on the surface of the skin to actually introduce a sheath, which in my field, they'll, they'll put a sheath into through the skin into either the femoral artery or into the radial artery that's in the arm. And then they can load in the microcatheters and then provide either the additional diagnostic imaging or provide therapeutics. Um, but you know, I'm seeing the venture capitals are looking for the grand slams, the home runs and swinging for the fences. So they might've, cut bait in the past three to four months to say, you know, geez, we just couldn't get the clinical data or we already foresaw this wasn't going to happen the way we wanted to. So they're either stop investing or they're out there looking for those, those bigger new technologies, which, which really could be telemedicine. It could be augmented reality. It could be AI. There's lots of AI hitting healthcare now. So I think they're waiting for those types of deals to start to be developed and, and become fundable. So with, with Quantum Funnel C, you guys are initially taking that VC money and you guys have the companies or are looking, currently looking for the companies that you want to put that VC money into? We, we have the companies and we're co-founding the companies. So my partner and I have extensive relationships over 25, 30 years with interventional radiologists. My expertise is primarily in, in the interventional neurovascular space. His expertise is everything from, from the neck down, cardiology and peripheral intervention. We speak to physicians on a weekly, monthly basis that have you know, problems every day in the radiology suite, and they, and they tell us about them. And they say, God, if I had something that could do this, that would be fantastic. There's one physician we spoke to 
about a year ago and, and we filed patents on recently, he has a technology he believes that will, that will uh, treat pulsatile tinnitus. That's the ringing in your ears, that sound people hear, which affects millions of people in the United States and you know three times that worldwide. He treated a patient that had what's called a stenosis in the vein that actually drains behind the ear. And when he stented that patient, because that's the only thing he knew to do, when the patient woke up, the ringing was gone. So he discovered this therapy, which works for a subset of tinnitus by mistake. It was just serendipity. So we had this conversation. He told me about it. And I said, well, how big do you think this issue is? And he says, well, I, I probably see one a month, but I bet I could see 10 a month. So he filed a provisional patent and we just formed the company around that. So that's going to be one of the companies that we are raising money for that will actually invest in that to to develop a device that can be used to treat a patient with that annoying ringing in their ear. And uh, I'm telling you, this is a new indication, which the FDA loves new indications, and it's gonna be a, a, a new treatment for physicians to do so that they can generate CPT codes and generate revenue, but it's gonna help so many patients around the world. So these are the kinds of ideas that we see and hear about, which potentially a VC could be making an investment in. So. I think we're targeting $11 million over uh, uh, three years to bring this into the marketplace. But these are the types of deals that, uh, that a venture capitalist would be looking to make an investment in. You think that's something that uh, people like me who have headphones on all the time, uh, people who wear you know Bluetooth devices, I wear headphones when I run that wrap around my ear. You know, is, it, <laughs> is it those types of things that could cause what you were describing earlier? All right, so I'm not a physician. I'm an engineer. Uh, I really stay in my lane. <laughs> fair, so enough, fair enough, fair I'm enough. I'm not providing any diagnosis or treatment options. Uh, I listen to physicians who I believe are the true innovators when it comes to developing a therapy. Where engineers innovate is how you can manufacture, design, develop, and manufacture it. So we're two different types of innovators that really have to work well together. And you know, I tell some physicians, you know, I'm, I'm not going to quit my day job and go be a radiologist or a surgeon, and neither should you. I mean, some have, have done it. They've been extremely successful. But I want these physicians to stay seeing, uh, you know, actually stay in the lab, stay in the suite, uh, stay in surgery so they can see issues and bring them to engineers like me that we can work together, design, develop, and actually bring them into the marketplace together. So if you have uh, ringing in your ear, call a neurologist and get checked out <laughs> well well let me ask you this you could have stayed as an engineer that did develop things for a specific company yet you came out on your own or partnered with other people to to venture with other physicians that have ideas what took yeah. you to that step why why do that instead of just use your engineering degree to work for a company well i started out getting into the medical device uh, business when I was in college. It was my senior year of college, the week of my sister's wedding in 1989, my grandfather had an ischemic stroke. And that's a, a blockage in an artery in your brain that stops uh, the blood flow to that part of the brain. And um, I went to visit him and the neurologist asked me what I was studying. I said, engineering. And uh, he said, maybe someday you could design and develop something that could treat someone like your grandfather. He's not going to make it. There's nothing I can do for him. Um, so 
use your degree to get into healthcare, or I'm not sure what you were imagining. I wasn't imagining anything because I was a baseball player in college. But then I got hurt and I wasn't going pro, believe me. I wasn't going to go play for the Red Sox. So I looked for an internship in healthcare and I began working for a medical device company called USCI, United States Catherine Instruments, which was a division of a bigger company called CR Bard. And I interned there for about nine months. And then upon graduation, they had a major regulatory issue and I didn't get hired there. I ended up getting a job at a company in Tempe, Arizona, a small company. It wasn't quite family owned, but it was more or less. And I was making dialysis catheters uh, for them. I was extruding and molding hubs and assembling the catheters. Then I thought, hey, maybe I should go work for a bigger company. A year later in 1992, I went to work for Boston Scientific, which was back in Massachusetts. And they had just gone public. They had lots of funds to make acquisitions and invest in technology. I became an extrusion engineer there, making catheters for them. And over five years working there, I met a lot of the leadership. And there was an older scientist there that kept telling me, the future of this market is stroke, either hemorrhagic or ischemic stroke. So you should look at that. And lo and behold, in 1997, I was able to co-found in a, in a, a hemorrhagic stroke company with a physician and a, you know, a uh, business partner. So we had the business guy that had the vision that could raise the money. We had the physician who had the problem, who actually had a patent issue, but they needed someone like me to design, develop it and actually make it. So I had worked for that big company. I had seen the co-founders, the innovators, which was uh, uh, John Abley and Pete Nicholas how they started small and built it up to become a public company. I'm like, I, I wonder if I could do that. So working for that small company first, then going to a big company that just went IPO, I said, I want to try and be that small company again and have the opportunity to design and develop that device that would have helped my grandfather that could help me someday or my mother. So that's how I made the leap. It was really by getting the experience from the small and big company Speaking to the leadership, uh, really having my uh, you know my earphones on and saying, okay, what is next in this marketplace? What are my skills? And then, you know, I, I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes at that first startup, Micros. I mean, I was an athlete. I liked teams. You know, you're a baseball player. You know, pitchers get eight, eight guys behind them that all do different things. A business is the same thing. You can't do this alone. If anybody thinks Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg did this all on their own, they're fooling themselves. Those guys had teams. They made mistakes. You know, failure is a big part of success. And I failed at my first company. I actually got fired <laughs> two years <laughs> in. Uh, I didn't agree with what the CEO was doing. I won't get into that. But um, that firing, uh, I licked my wounds. That led me to move from San Francisco down to Orange County, work with another team called Microvention. And they were young. I was the ninth or 10th employee they were a rock star team of seasoned veterans, and I worked with them for six or seven years. That company ended up getting acquired, but I learned from them you know, how to build a business team, how to raise money, how to make a business plan, how to really design, develop products and get them approved, how to commercialize them. Um, and then I, after all that, in 2007, I co-founded another company with another business guy and doctor. And that was the device that we designed and developed that would have helped my grandfather. And that was called the Sten Retriever. And we got that to market. And that actually had a nice exit from a local company in Orange County called Covidian, 
which was later acquired by Medtronic, and they're you know they're the largest medical device company in the world. So I kept working with teams, having failures, having successes, learning from them, and the team that I worked with at Mindframe, that that initial engineering team, I've I, I've worked with them ever since. So we did Mindframe together, then we did Blockade Medical together, sold that to a French company which was called Vault. Uh, I just left them May, May 29th to form Quantum. So I have my team now. You dipped your hands in a lot of things. I mean, just the life experience of being able to learn so many different uh, parts of the business. Um, so then it kind of makes me want to ask you if, you know, I'm, I'm a big movie guy. And uh, when you mentioned Elon Musk, I, you know, Tony Stark popped into my head. And, you know, you watch the, the Iron Man movies and, you know, he has his, you know, he's an engineer. You know, but he's also a, a business person. And in those movies, you can tell what he really loves to do is to go back to his engineering roots and work with his hands. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you the same type of thing. You've dipped your hands in so many different aspects of the business from from commercializing a product to raising revenue. How, you know, what has become your favorite part of this whole venture? Is it still working with your hands? Is it still getting down to the nitty gritty and developing that particular product using your engineering skills? Or have you kind of favored other aspects of the business? My favorite part is that early stage idea generation, reducing it all to practice. Um, you know, having that initial meeting with the physician, like the one who said, ah, I put a stent in, I treated tinnitus. Well, how did you do that? And then what do we think we have to do now to really make a device in a procedure. And then you start to build the prototypes and test and you make mistakes. And sometimes you, you actually get it, you know, soon enough and early. And then you have that big aha moment. This is it. And you freeze the design. That for me is the, is the most fun, rewarding, you know, challenging, um, uh, you know, you actually grow a lot in that period and you send, you know, you actually test yourself, you get stressed, sleepless so, nights. Are you like, are, are you, uh, basically when you're talking to these physicians and they kind of have, like, I, I imagine the way you're describing this conversation, that physician told you about a procedure they had, that physician never thought of turning it into something major. It's the conversation that you have. You come in and you're, you're that spark. You're that fuel. You're the one who comes in and says, you did, you did what? Hey, by the way, do you know we can do this? And all of a sudden your mind starts going and you can't sleep. You're probably dreaming about solutions the whole time. You you planted a seed in this, you know, physician's mind of an opportunity that can happen. Now you great. Now they can't sleep because they got this opportunity in their head until something yeah. actually, you know, blooms and grows from that. Is that usually the process that that you're describing? Most of the times. Uh, some of the times, yeah, you know, I'm just kind of I'm just kind of looking for problems. I'll read the journals. Like there's a journal right here. I, I read this all the time, <laughs> you know, and uh, you'll see uh, case reports of, of failed procedures or, or devices that are, that are breaking. I'll, I'll attend conferences and I like to attend because, you know, everything doesn't always go right. And then you'll have a conversation with a physician who, yeah, I was treating a patient and this happened. And in, in this specific case, this physician told me and our team at uh, Balt about this idea two years ago. And uh, I actually stopped him in his tracks and I said, if you think this is a great idea, then I need you to go file a provisional patent application. This is your idea and this is going to be your solution. 
So I don't want to hear any more. And until you file that provisional patent application, I don't want to speak to you about this anymore. A year later, I saw him again at another meeting and I said, hey, did you file the, the, you know, the actual patent application? And are you, are you getting ready to convert that? He goes, nah, I never filed it. And I got so mad at him. <laughs> and I said, I would quit my day job to be the CEO of that company. I go, so I'm not even going to talk to you until you tell me you filed a provisional. And he walked away like, who is this crazy guy? And the sales rep that I know that's good friends with them said, hey, what did you do to this doctor? He, he's really rattled and upset. <laughs> and I go, this is what I told him. So 90 days later, he sent me a text. Hey, I filed the patent, asshole. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So then I drove out to see him and I said, all right, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm leaving my day job to form a company that's going to put together operating plans for multiple companies. I want this in our portfolio. And so I must have you know, kicked him in the knees or in the butt. And he said, wow, if, if this guy who's a device guy thinks that this is such a great idea, and I already know it is because it helps all my patients or some of them, then I should get on it. So yeah, it can be motivating to the, the physician innovator to speak to an engineer that's been through this before, but then it's motivating for me to be like, I know we can make that that product and and that device, and yeah, it's it, it you know it kind of works hand in hand. That's that's always been to me one of the most fascinating parts of business. That initial holy shit, I got something here that can probably be big, right? This is a great idea. How do we make it happen? Um, but like you, you know, I, I, I've always, you know, that, that team that needs to surround that particular thing is always the, you know, the problem or the dilemma or the, the part of the solution that we need to move forward. But to yeah. live every single day in that excitement phase that to, to just, you know, you literally said, I am looking for problems because you're the type of person, it sounds like, where every problem to you is an opportunity where other people see a failure and a mistake, you see potential. And that's a great optimistic point of view to have have yeah. uh not just in in business obviously in, in business that's that's huge but i imagine uh, your lifestyle is very much very similar yeah uh i i i look for problems but i tend to stay in my lane uh you know i'm not developing a, a vaccine for COVID 19 or any ppe masks <laughs> if it's and i am and people are chasing that and there's a lot of scammers out there okay but i'm looking for catheter-based therapies if it involves a microcatheter that goes into your radial or femoral artery, if it involves an occlusion device, it involves a stent. I don't care where it is, the head, the rest of the body, I, I want to hear about it. Um, so those are the things that I'm really looking for because, yeah, I've been doing this since 1991, uh, and, my, and my partner has been doing it for eight years longer than me. Actually, my business partner hired me my first job out of college in Tempe, Arizona, and now we're coming full circle working together again. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm always reading, I'm attending conferences. And the past three months, there's been so many webinars and Zooms within my own space and sector that I'm probably learning more now than, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a compacted amount of time and space than I probably had the past couple of years because I'm getting exposure from physician webinars, um, you know, Zoom meetings with other uh, potential entrepreneurs pitching me. Um, but yeah, I'm looking for something to solve constantly within my own field. All right. Uh, I'm going to see if I learned enough from you to judge uh, two truths and a lie. 
So let's okay. see if I've gotten to know you in the in the total 27 minutes that we've been able to have a conversation. Let's see if I can guess uh, your two truths and lie. You ready, Dave? I'm ready. All right, here's how it works. Pretty simple rules. You're going to tell me three things. Two of them are going to be a truth. One of them is going to be a lie. And based on deduction, after having a conversation, I'm going to see how well I know you if I can decipher the lie. Ready? Okay. Go for it. Okay. Um, I was I was drafted into Major League Baseball in 1989. Um, I... I'm an, an inventor of, of over 80 issued patents, and I co-founded my first company in the late 90s. Man, you laid that one up for me. That's like, that's like the softball one. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, uh, let's, go, let's go with the baseball one, man. You, uh, you didn't go pro is one of the things you literally told me. <laughs> But you're a Boston Red Sox fan, man. You're a Boston yes. Red Sox fan, right? I wanted to go pro, but I wasn't I in the you. cards. I feel you. I wanted to go pro too. Um, so Adrian Gonzalez uh, played for the Dodgers, recently retired for the Aegon. Dodgers. He was in the Padres. Uh, I played against him in high school, and I struck him out in high school, and that was like my claim to fame. He made it to the pros. I'm watching him from the couch, but I can say Fantastic. that when I played against him in high school, I struck him out. Well, <laughs> so I don't I, – I, I played against Tom Glavin. He struck me out in, in, in Legion baseball. He was he was from Bill Ricca, and uh, he was good. He got drafted out of high school. He, he could have gone pro NHL too, I guess. He used to get frustrated with his catcher. Uh, and so when a pitcher is warming up and you're a, you're a pitcher, you'll mm -hmm. always give him the wave or you'll do this or yeah. you'll give him that. He was pitching against me, and he – was tired of shaking off and he just did this. I knew a fastball was coming. I didn't touch it. <laughs> Which, I don't know why that wasn't a balk, first of all. Okay. <laughs> but still, yeah. He, he had his foot off the mound. I don't know. I don't know. I don't he know. That wasn't there. But no, that's but that's that's kind of crazy. Uh when you when you have a specific dream that you can't get to and it kind of leads you in a different direction, right? I mean yeah. Would you say your life is better off? Uh, I mean, I can't say better off, but you enjoy the life that you've created uh, since you didn't make the pros? 100%. Because what I've learned through the years of kind of growing up and becoming a father and meeting so many people, what gives me joy now is to make meaning in people's lives. And making meaning is developing medical devices that can improve the quality of life. Yeah, as a pro athlete, I guess you can make meaning and bring you joy as an entertainer. But... I'm, I'm happy I get to do what I do. And that's the kind of meaning that I'm kind of uh, very fortunate to be able to create. 80, over 80 patents that you yeah. put together. So that was the truth. Over 80 patents. With a team of people, yeah. yeah. With a team of people, but still, to, that's, a, that's a huge acknowledgement uh, and uh, undertaking, a huge achievement to, to have done. Um, if you were to give yourself um a goal like say you know i'm gonna stop working or i don't know if, if you really love what you do you probably never stop working right. but uh give yourself a number what is it where you can feel like this is the number of patents that i feel i can accomplish in my lifetime or is there like a magic one that you think this is the one that i'm shooting for this this will fix xyz diagnosis or whatever uh yeah the number of patents isn't important to me um but you know, if I can continue to bring 
um, easy to use medical devices uh, to the market with physicians that are safe and they just improve the quality of life. I mean, I just want to keep doing that. So there's not like, I, I got to get to 125. The, the number means nothing. Um, it's just, am I able to continue to do this? And maybe have my son work for me someday because he's an orthopedic sales rep, have my two youngest kids be part of the family business. So then we can all do it together and they can see the joy it brings me. Um, that's what I want to keep doing until who knows I'm 52. Maybe I can do this till I'm 72. Who knows? Who knows? All right. Last one. The last truth. You started your first business in the early nineties. Um, you know, you have your kids, they're growing up. Um, do you kind of steer away from the whole build your own business or is it something you push? Like you should start your own thing. You should give it a shot. Well, my kids, this is all they've ever seen me do, really. Um, start companies, uh, travel, work with physicians. So hopefully they see this as normal and <laughs> not not getting a job at a big company and hoping to get a pension. Um, you know, we have a very nice quality of life. We, we travel a lot. Uh, we have a lot of fun and freedom because of the things that I'm able to do. So hopefully they're like, Hey, I kind of like what he's in. Or like my son, he's seven. He wants to be a YouTuber. That's what he told me. <laughs> seven. Every seven um, year old here, every seven year old and 37 year old is doing the right. same type of thing. So I'm like, go for it. I'll invest in your company. Okay. Right. So. Dad, the VC, isn't that always the case? Yeah, or the angel, the angel <laughs> investor. The angel, absolutely, absolutely. Right. Dave, thank you very much for spending some time with me on the program today. I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Yeah. Uh, I want to make sure that everybody knows, uh, if you guys are in the medical field, if you're looking uh, for, you know, you have stumbled across something, maybe there's something you do to help your patients out. Uh, and obviously in the uh, in the same space that we were talking about today, check it out, Quantum Fund oc.com i'm sure dave can even point you in a direction if it's not in his uh in his wheelhouse he'll point you in the right direction to help you get that taken up off the ground dave thank you again very much for being on the program thank you had fun all right, all right ladies and gents see you guys later at four o'clock peace and we're out thank you for listening to the business bros podcast are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income Hernan, the business bro, can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the insurance bro with Pipeline Insurance, can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.